Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, everybody. Hope you're all having a fab week and you have been drinking something beautiful and delicious. So this week I'm going to be answering some of your questions and instantly I had two that were to do with the same thing. So thank you so much Akila, hope I'm pronouncing it right, Akila Patel who asked me is there certification for natural wines and I also got from Liam, Liam Salo, does natural wine age? So, without wasting any more time, let's get right into the world of natural wine. And by the end of this, you can tell me, are you a natural wine lover or are you the complete and utter opposite? So I'm going to start off with my winery of the week. Of course, it has to be somebody who is important in the natural wine movement. And so I have chosen Marcel Lapierre. This is a winery in Beaujolais. Now, Beaujolais is officially considered part of Burgundy, but right down in the south. Now, when you talk about Beaujolais, there are 10 crews, so 10 little villages that are considered far more superior and you should know about them should you like the style of this wine. One of the most robust styles, so the more kind of structured styles, a bit more tannins, is a crew, a little village called Morgon. And that is exactly where Marcel Lapierre is. And this is actually the kind of modern day birthplace of natural wine. So let me tell you a little bit more about Marcel Lapierre. So he took over from his father in the 1970s and instantly kind of recognised this was not how his grandfather used to make things, which was in a much more natural way. He met a guy called Jules Chavet. We're going to talk about how important he was in the natural wine movement. And basically his whole principles were to not add sulphur, to be very minimal, to be very organic in the vineyards. And this was something that Marcel completely took on board. He was changing everything. Nobody else in the area was doing that. He managed to convince all his party buddies to effectively do the same. I think we'll talk about that in a second. And this is something that has really changed how Beaujolais specifically made their wines and has continued to have that boom around the world. So Marcel Lapierre, he went fully organic in the 1980s and his trademark is about picking the fruit at the latest moment so you get this lovely, lovely ripe fruit. Unfortunately, he has died now. He passed away in 2010, but his children, Camille and Mathieu Lapierre, have continued things on and actually have now converted everything fully into a biodynamic vineyard so they are fully continuing his legacy now in Morgon there are six climats or you could call them lieux-dits these basically are these specific little areas plots of lands that have been delineated for their type of geology now there are six of them in Morgon and the absolute most famous one is Côte de Pie it is an absolutely incredible beautiful hill that's an ancient volcano effectively so you have this schist rock with manganese and iron and it produces these stunning wines so I am going to try Marcel Lapierre's top flagship wine his cuvee this is a 2018 
80% of the grapes come from that Cote de Pie plot, that Climat. They are the oldest vines. They have 100 years old. And of course, as I'm going to talk about natural wine throughout, you will understand how the wine was made. So let's try the wine. Okay, so straight away on the nose, it's super ripe, which is no surprise. 2018 was a really hot year for all of us. I think you can probably remember. But it's like raspberry jams and red cherries and strawberries. There's like a, there's a real sweetness, like a sweetness of spice on the nose as well. It's super inviting. It's delicious. And on the palate... So it's medium body. This is from the Gamay grape. Gamay is the grape variety that grows in Beaujolais. You're not going to expect something that's humongous and full body. So really medium bodied here with some surprisingly kind of mingy, medium chalky tannins actually, but it's almost this minerality that is this hitting the back of my tongue it's a bit of like thyme and herbal nature with lovely red cherries almost like those alcoholic red cherries it really is very luscious very pure and the reason i personally love marcel lapierre wines is i don't get a touch of anything other than pure fruit no funkiness which some people notice in natural wines none of that cider notes nothing just delicious concentrated fruit i think this wine is divine so let's actually move on to then the natural wine movement and discuss beaujolais in a little bit more detail So let's focus on Beaujolais, which, as I mentioned already, really was the modern birthplace of natural wine. Now, just imagine before machines, before all these scientists developed things that were synthetic, everything was made naturally. But after World War One, World War Two, there was a lot of wartime deprivation. Basically, you had bomb making chemicals repurposed as herbicides and pesticides. So already people could do things faster, they were using up materials they already had, and they could use these big machines to do things much quicker. So by the time it got to the 1970s and the 1980s, there was also a big hit on Beaujolais Nouveau. You may have heard of Beaujolais Nouveau. It it was simply a wine that was fermented super quick and then released on the third Thursday of November. It was actually a way for them to obviously get their money back very, very quickly. But with this kind of style, it was very fun. It's very easy drinking. You get all these flavors of bubblegum and cherries, bananas, cinnamon, these kind of flavors, but super heavy on the sulfur, lots of just the standard cultural yeast. It's all about making the wine in huge volumes. And of course, when you start making things in big volumes, you do things in the quickest way you possibly can. So whilst that was going on, that was exactly the time when Marcel Lapierre, as I already mentioned, was starting to explore going back to the roots. So you had all these chemicals being used, you had Beaujolais Nouveau come out, and then the godfather, as they say, of the natural wine world, Jules Chauvet was studying hard to make what he felt were the safest wines without any additives and farming everything completely organically. So Marcel Lapierre met him, instantly wanted to go organic, do things the way his grandfather had always wanted to and shared with all of his friends and acquaintances. So at the time they were party buddies, but they were also winemakers. Hence why down in that crew, that appellation called Morgon, is where it all kind of started. So they were dubbed the gang of four. So this is Massa Lapierre, as I've mentioned, with a guy called Jean Foyard, Jean-Paul Thévenet, and Guy Breton. 
So in the 1970s, they really launched the natural wine revolution. There's now actually a fifth guy. So there is the Gang of Five as the group expanded and it included Joseph Chamonat. So that may be another name that you want to look for. A lot of people, when they started making wines naturally again and not adding anything to them, started making fun of them, saying that they were so silly. But when people started tasting the wines and the wines became more popular and were selling for more money, gradually people started recognising that they could do the same. Now, the reason that I personally feel that Beaujolais is a good place to discover natural wine is for two reasons. One, they've been doing it a lot longer. And with anything, experience does tend to lend itself to better quality. As if you listen to interviews with Jean Foyard, for example, he said they made many mistakes at the beginning things were tasting really off really funky and so this is something that they have understood with time the second reason is that Gamay the grape variety just thrives in the granitic soils of these crews it does really well we said that Beaujolais is the furthest down south compared to Burgundy region. So it's much warmer. The climate is better. You can get riper grapes. And it seems that actually, if you have really good quality ripe fruit, that can really handle a lot less sulfur. It lends itself to being made in a much more natural style without going off. Note, the reason you add sulfur to a wine is because it is a preservative. It is an antioxidant. You are making sure that the wine doesn't turn into vinegar. That is the objective. And what is the point in making a delicious wine if straight away it's going to turn to vinegar? So that is why sulfur is added. For their ethos, it's about adding it in the absolute minimum possible and for some natural winemakers not adding it at all. So that gives you a little bit of an introduction into the modern day natural wine movement. After Beaujolais, in Paris in the late 1980s, they had their first natural wine tasting fair. There's that knock-on effect. Italy in the mid-2000s entered the natural wine scene, slowly followed by Spain. Then apparently around 2010, that was the time for USA to get involved. And it has continued. This is still a very, very small amount of winemakers in the world. But you will generally find in every country now, there is a natural wine movement. So what is natural wine? How can we define natural wine completely? Sadly, in answer to Akila's question about certification, there is no official certification. But country by country, Italy, Spain, France, they do have different associations. And as a general rule, the standards that they've set are pretty much the same thing. We're talking no pesticides, no chemicals, no additives. Very, very simple. You have to, at the very least, be farming organically and maybe some are farming biodynamically as well. If you want to know the terms of organics and biodynamics, go back to my episode 25 if you haven't already heard that and we go into much more detail about what they are. Now, the one thing that is slightly different depending on these kind of associations is the amount of sulfur. We've talked about this word. Is it no sulfur added? Is it minimum sulfur added? Well, as a general rule, some are saying 30 milligrams per litre or 30 
parts per million ppm so you might hear that others are saying 50 so as a standard rule i would say that it's definitely accepted around the world that if a wine has 50 parts per million of sulfur or 50 milligrams per liter this is an acceptable wine that fits within the natural wine standards you will find every single winemaker is different as an example my wonderful beautiful winery Marcel Lapierre his daughter Camille she says specifically there is no real definition of natural wine as we've kind of just said there is no religious extremism know your vines it doesn't mean to do nothing if you have to use something you will and I think that's actually something that needs to be fully respected not to demonize those that use that extra bit of sulfur these are guidelines it's a sense of not putting anything in and not taking anything out now if you've anybody has seen the words zero slash zero that's actually specifically for wines where they have added nothing and they have taken nothing out so zero zero now you know what that means but to be fair to make a zero zero wine takes more than just skill it takes the time the dedication to actually be there every second making sure that your living product doesn't do something bizarre and I would say they might hate me for saying this I think it takes some luck sometimes as well so let's look at this living thing I mentioned already before you need a really good microbiological life in the vineyard because if you do they will have the yeasts those native yeasts on the skins that will create that fermentation so you don't need to add any specialized yeast that have been made in a laboratory that affect the flavor in a specific way that's often why they're chosen so you use these natural yeasts that will give you a successful fermentation and take it through to the end it will be a great variety that is healthier that can be exposed to oxygen and not turn into vinegar as quickly these are all these things so if right at the beginning the microbiological life is really well that living product will need less intervention along with not having to add maybe even any genetically modified yeasts choosing to put in the tiniest amount of sulfur you are also not going to use oak because the idea for natural winemakers is they feel that they are the wine is hiding behind the oak now uh, if you are a conventional winemaker you would say that the oak enhances the wine so I really think that is completely about what camp you're on if you like oaky flavors that gives you something delicious to your wine but of course natural wine feels that it is not about the grape variety anymore so you're going to find that these wines are fermented in glass they might be fermented in cement or in clay we'll talk about clay a little bit later the last thing to look at is those additives I mentioned this before in a previous episode what are these additives now there are over 70 additives that are allowed into wine please keep in mind they are legally allowed and there has actually been no research specifically to suggest that any are really bad for you or unhealthy or are not safe however just like when you eat food we all know e-numbers and extra bits and bobs are not in theory good for us and if we can have cleaner food in any sense that is better so the kind of additives that they will add often just include things like sugar which is not good for our health that is always my big big gripe about wines that are made really quickly and in huge high production there'll be just so much sugar in there 
The big one that people talk about that changes the color of the wine to a much darker, deeper color is Mega Purple. They love using that in America. Again, it's just a color dye. You know, we use dyes in food preparation. However, for me, it's got loads of sugar in it again to give you that extra richness. Don't like that. There are things about fining the wine. When you fine the wine, you can use lots of different things, whether it be fish bladders, whether it be egg whites. You can also use sugars that have been derived from crustacean shells now I found that quite interesting because of course people a lot of the time have crab allergies as much as all these things could be potentially in the wine I also know from tests in terms of using animal products after you've used an animal product to find the wine they have tested the wine and none of those animal products show up so in theory they don't stay in the wine so again how do you feel about that if they're not fining with anything then of course you've got nothing to worry about but if they are fining is it in the wine still afterwards or not Uh, who knows what I would conclude for natural wines from my own personal opinion is Yes, if you are having a wine that is being labelled as natural, it will, without a doubt, be healthier for you because less stuff is in it. However, is it going to taste nice? That is the question. If you are lucky enough to get an absolutely pure, beautiful fruit forward style of wine, you're winning because then you have wonderful flavours and beautiful, healthy juice going into your body. But the question on the conventional side is... Actually, what is wrong with oak? Is that affecting your body? Is it bad for you? No, it's just giving you a flavour. What is wrong with setting the fermentation tank at a lower temperature so the juice stays fresher and you get more, I don't know, pear drop flavours in the wine? You get fresher green fruit flavours in that white wine. Is there anything wrong with that? Natural wine would say yes. But if you like those fruit flavours, then that's a good thing, right? machine harvests nowadays the machines are so good that they're not affecting the quality of the grapes so therefore does that matter then again you're not having someone hand harvesting and going through all the moldy grapes so if they're not doing the selection on site before it goes into fermentation you are going to get moldier grapes what about reverse osmosis this is literally putting the wine spinning it around in a chamber so it separates out the kind of juice with water with the alcohol and the winemaker can take out some of the water to concentrate the wine so it's more powerful or they can take out the alcohol slightly so it seems fresher and lighter to you yes you're manipulating that wine so it goes against everything natural but in terms of affecting the flavor maybe it's going to give you a wine that you're going to enjoy better But then if the fruit was the perfect quality in the first place, would the winemaker even have to do that? What do you think? Okay, and then let's look at just an additive. Let's just take one for example, gum arabic. Now, this is an E number, E414 in fact, if you want to have a look on the back of your packets of food. It's used very, very regularly. It's a kind of resin-like substance and it comes from a arabic acacia tree. That is used very often to take out bitterness, soften the tannins in a wine and give you a nicer mouthfeel. Again, you're adding something that wasn't supposed to be in the wine in the first place. But do you want a wine that's softer, rounder and less bitter? These are all questions that a winemaker has to make. Does he want to give you the purest example of the grapes that have come from the ground in whatever format, no matter how bitter, how sour, what it is, or maybe it's perfect and that is just for you? Or a winemaker that manipulates the grapes slightly to give you the best flavour juice that he thinks he can possibly make? I personally don't think there is a right or wrong answer because wine is subjective and it is for you. But hopefully that gives you just a slight 
brief introduction really into what can happen in the wine making process and whether you like the idea of a natural wine. Remember, as natural winemakers will say, drinking a natural wine is a wild ride because you never know exactly what it's going to taste like. If you like the sound of that, then natural wines are definitely for you. So let's talk about the different types of natural wine. You can have them in all colours. So, of course, white wine, red wine and rosé. You can also have orange wine. Now, just to go in a little bit more detail about orange wine, this is not made from oranges, which some people have asked me that question before. This is basically a white wine that is made in the style of a red wine. So very simply, a wine gets its colour from its skins. Nearly all grape varieties, the juice is white inside. The only exceptions being Tanturier grape varieties. Now their flesh is dark so in fact probably the most famous Tanturier grape variety is Saparavi. Saparavi is from Georgia. Now if you ever have a Saparavi you'll see it's really purple dark and inky. It can really it will dye your tongue. It's that concentrated. So apart from those type of grape varieties Nearly all the ones that we've ever heard of are clear inside. So the longer you macerate the grapes on their skins or keep the skins around with the must whilst it's fermenting, this will impart the colour of the skin and obviously flavours and textures and tannins and everything into the juice of the wine. So when you have an orange wine, you're going to expect something much more potentially bitter, more tannins, more grip, all of that because the skin contact has affected the wine. You'll also have just skin contact wines. The difference between skin contact wines and orange wines is simply that a white wine may just have spent five hours, 24 hours, just a little bit of extra time on its skins just to give it added texture. That's slightly different than a specific orange wine, which will be a lot more intense. Then there is sparkling wines. You can make pet nats, which is short for pétillante naturelle, and that's also the same as colfondo, which is what they call proseccos when made completely naturally. So what that basically is, instead of having a second fermentation, which is how you make champagne in the traditional method sparklings, halfway through fermentation, before it's finished, you simply put it into the bottle and you close it off. Now, the fermentation will finish in the bottle. This will mean that there will be some sparkling produced. The byproduct of this process is carbon dioxide. So you will get some bubbles, but it won't be as intense. It will also be much drier. All of the sugar will be fermented down to zero. You get a completely dry style, maybe sometimes earthier, a bit more saline and cloudy. So that is a natural style of sparkling wine. You can get natural champagnes, you can get natural carvers, but first of all, they would always be the brut nature, which means absolutely zero sugar added in at the end, so no dosage. But of course, they are probably the most manipulated styles of natural wine, shall we say, of all the different types, because if you know how, you have to do the second fermentation and you are doing a lot more with it, but it is possible. You may have also heard of quevery wines. It doesn't matter what colour the wine 
wine is it's a still wine that they age in a type of clay pot like amphoras, amphorize. So that is something that's very typical to going back to Georgia or Armenia. In this part of the world, we have evidence that wine goes back to about 6000 BC. So the history is immense. Seeing as aging in clay pots and this style of aging vessel is being used more and more in natural wine, maybe it's worth having a quick look at the natural wine scene in Georgia itself. So Georgia really is the spiritual home of natural wine. We talked about Beaujolais being the more modern birthplace of natural wine, but actually with this 8,000 years of history, it's really interesting to see how they're making wine. Now, I talked about the clay amphora. This is what they call quiveries. These quiveries have become so popular. About 15, 20 years ago, one quivery was about 100 euros. Now, you might have a waiting list of two years to get your quivery and it might cost you a thousand euros so that gives you an idea of around the world how this winemaking vessel has been embraced and with such a long history that doesn't surprise me at all in 2013 they were actually added to the unesco list and this is for the customs around the world that demonstrate the cultural heritage of humanity which is something quite cool so they make the wines in these quiveries, these clay amphoras, and the wines are skin contact fermented wines with naturally occurring yeasts. If this interests you, there's a winery called Pheasant's Tears. That could quite possibly be the most known of the natural quivery movement wineries. So go and check them out. Now, the quivery really is the symbol of pride for Georgia's old winemaking history and their traditions. So what they do... They take these clay amphoras that's in an egg shape. So what happens, they lightly press the grapes, they will take whole bunches of grapes and they will put them into these clay pots that have been lined with beeswax. After fermentation, these quiveries are actually down buried into the ground. You don't have to use anything modern day being just down in the ground alone will control that temperature. Now after the fermentation, these quiveries they're sealed and they're just left to age this is why you get the white wines that are going to be orange colored or maybe amber colored they're going to have this kind of grippy tannins like a red wine and the reds actually they're going to give you this real herbiness and lots of spice with much more kind of wild fruit because of the way they've been aged I mentioned the grape variety Saparavi, which really is the red grape variety of Georgia if you're interested in the white you need to look for Rochezzatelli so what do you think about these quivery-aged wines from Georgia? Hmm? Okay, so let's actually look at the flavours of natural wine. Now, firstly, as I've already told you, it can be, as they say, a wild ride. You really don't know what you're going to get because it's a living thing inside and anything can happen. One thing I would say is, remember, there's no oak, so you're not going to find anything with buttery, creamy notes. No big, heavy, rich Chardonnays, no big, fat style of reds. In terms of those really pungent style Sauvignon Blancs that you get from Marlborough, New Zealand, you're not going to get any of these. A lot of those really intense, strong flavours have come from choosing special yeasts that will help increase those flavours and also those cleaner flavours by finding out the wines can help. So what do you get? Well, 
As you know from my tasting I just did with the Marcel Lapierre Cuvée, you can get beautiful concentrated fruit flavours, but this is from wineries that are not ever going to make a zero-zero, as I talked about. They will use something if need be to make sure they have that beautiful fruit flavours. For those other winemakers who are really true to the tradition of not touching anything, your wine could be fizzy. In fact, this will be because there's excess CO2. There's no process at the end to degas. They don't agitate the wines in any way at the end or siphon off with hoses those extra CO2. So it might be fizzy. Now keep that in mind. If you do taste a natural wine, you need to just shake it up a little bit. So get it in a decanter and swirl it around. And in theory, very quickly, that fizziness should go. You're also going to get cloudiness. They're not finding that wine. And if they do filter the wine, it will be gross filtration. So the lightest amount of filtration. So it's very normal to see that cloudiness. Remember, in red wine, you don't notice it very much because of the colour. But white wine, it will be much more obvious. Now, I honestly with a lot of natural wines, just feel that they get very cider-like. They taste like cider, maybe even beer. Now, I read something that kind of makes sense, which is they don't control the fermentation temperatures. And very often, they're a lot colder and slower. And that's often what happens when you do make cider. So that could be the reason for why there's often that cider note in the wine. You're not supposed to have an oxidized wine in theory, but it hasn't got as much sulfur. It's not got the same preservative effects. And so oxygen will hit that wine. So maybe there'll be a nutty note or something slightly sour, sour fruits. And what about mousy? Have you ever heard of the description mousy? That is something where you taste it, but it's kind of a smell. So this is that kind of even going to that barnyard notes. You get a lot of Brettamyces, which can be best described as the smells when you walk into a barn or even sweaty dog, for example. So you can get a lot of this, I guess I'll sum that up as funk in a natural wine. Not always, sometimes. And often with the fruit flavours, they do take on maybe wilder fruit flavours. For anybody wanting to really experience a whole load of natural wines and not want to spend the money if you're a bit nervous whether you'll like them or not, I advise you go to a wine fair. They have them all over the world now. I can talk specifically about London. The the two that you should go to are the London Real Wine Fair and Raw Wine. The Raw Wine Fair you're going to find not only in London, it will also be in New York and Berlin as well. And this is organised by the Master of Wine, Isabel Legaron. She also has a natural wine book, should you want to read. I was personally just reading The Natural Wine for the People by Alice Fairing. Now, she is American, so I would highly advise it for those of you listening who live in America, because there's a whole section for importers and where you can buy it. Now, to answering Liam's question, does natural wine age? I don't feel I can personally say from my own experience how well natural wine ages because I don't drink enough of it, to be honest. But let's look at how wine can age. And the main structure of a wine that's important is something with high acidity and with tannins. These are the things that allow wine to evolve and continue and to develop. So in theory... If a natural wine has both of these things, it's certainly capable of aging. However, due to the low preservative level, 
Most natural wines are meant to be drunk young. However, it's easy for me to say that if you actually look at the wines of the world, most wines in general are meant to be drunk young. So first of all, if you ever see described or even labelled a natural wine that says glue glue, that basically means uh, kind of yum yum and it's to drink young. Also, vin de soif. That is a young wine that you're supposed to just knock back and do not hold on to. Isabel Legaron, the master of wine that I mentioned earlier, she has actually come out, put her foot down with her personal experience and said, wines that are natural can age 50 years. No problem. One thing that I do know is that there are several wines that I have either tried or had many experienced wine friends recommend to me. Just a few that I can think of off the top of my head. Radicon, very, very famous natural wine producer in Italy, right on the border of Slovenia. They're kind of the kings of orange wine. You can also find, sticking with Italy, La Stoppa. Now, this is in the Emilia-Romagna region and their current release of their Barbera is 2010. Another French producer that I know would be a really good one to hold back is Domaine Priore Roc. This is a guy that used to be co-director of Domaine Romani Conti, which gives a little bit of credibility. He's also the grandson of Henry Leroy. So winemaking is in his blood and part of his winery, he purchased parcels from Domaine Romani Conti back in 1988. That's an amazing winery from the Burgundy region worth trying if you want to have some aged natural wine. Most importantly, natural wines that can age are from wineries that have been doing it for a long time, have history and experience and know how to make natural wine. So if you're going to put some wines down in your cellar, make sure you pick a natural wine producer that has been around for at least 10, if not 20 years already, and your wine in general should evolve in a beautiful way. So let's finish off with a quote from this Isabel Legaron, the master of wine, who is all about natural wine. Now she says, natural wine is not new. It is what wine always was. And yet somehow today it has become a rarity. It is a tiny drop in a big ocean, but oh my, what a drop. So what do you think after listening to the history, how it's made, what it tastes like? Does it sound good to you? Is this something that you want to drink more of now? Or do you think it is just a fad? It's too funky. It's too crazy. Do let me know. Send me your opinion. If you are a natural wine lover, I want to hear what producers are your favourite. And what about an aged natural wine? Any favourites at all? Leave me your comments. As I said, I'll write down the information on the show notes. Like, subscribe if you haven't already, share this with all your wine-loving friends, and I'll see you again on another episode of Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat. Cheers to you.